0: From the political science department at UW Madison,
1: I'm Adam. I'm Mia. And I'm Michael. I declare
2: that I am a candidate
0: for president of the United States.
1: I am going to run for president. That's correct.
2: What's going to be different this time? We're going to win. We are going to. Son of South Bend, Indiana, and I am running for president of the United States.
1: In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other campaign and election experts, and hear their insight into the 2020 election.
2: And we will make America great again. This is the United States of America. There has never... Who
3: announced my candidacy for president? This is 1050 Bascom, election 2020. Today on 1050 Bascom, Election 2020, we are extremely happy to have Professor David Cannon on to discuss what happened last night in Iowa. Luckily, Professor Cannon is an award-winning researcher and teacher, in addition to being the editor of the Election Law Journal.
0: As a disclaimer, we are recording this at just past 5 p.m. Central Time on February 4th. So by the time this comes out, things may have changed. At this time, only 62% of precincts in Iowa have reported.
1: So Professor Cannon, thank you for being with
2: us. Good to be with you.
1: We can just start with a quick overview. This process has been a little shocking for everyone. We were expecting to do this interview this morning, actually, and had to postpone. Still don't have the full results of the Iowa caucus in yet. How do we make sense of what happened in Iowa last night?
2: Well, one thing I think to start with is to recognize this was human error rather than any kind of nefarious hacking or like you know Russia taking over our elections or something. (laughs) This is not not what happened here. Uh, And so it definitely is not good for the Democratic Party of Iowa to have not been prepared for something Mm -hmm. like this to happen. But this is clearly human error. And the big issue I think that everyone's pointing to is that they didn't properly field test this new app. They didn't ever actually have a statewide test. And that's why we ran into these problems is that you had, precinct captains that didn't have the app downloaded on their phone yet. And they tried to do it like on election day and oops, it didn't work. And so that's part of the, the problem. And then apparently there also was some kind of coding error with the app itself that prevented it from accurately sending consistent data back to the central location. And so it sounds like there were a variety of things, but, but basically show they just didn't test this thing ahead of time adequately.
1: So right now we have Pete Buttigieg, As number one, Bernie Sanders coming in at a close second Um, in the most recent polls before the caucus. So looking even yesterday at the polls that were coming out, Buttigieg was polling consistently around fourth or fifth among Democratic candidates coming out first out of Iowa. What does that mean for his campaign?
2: Yeah, this definitely is a big boost for him. I think it gives him the claim to be. The the choice of the moderate voters And so if you look at the the way That the preferences have broken down So far nationally you have, you have Biden and Warren Kind of splitting the more liberal vote And then of the more moderate candidates Biden, Klobuchar, and and Mayor Pete Are the three kind of splitting The more moderate vote So this really breaks him out of the pack I think as the, the leading candidate Of that moderate wing of the, the party Now obviously New Hampshire Is going to be a bigger test Because that's where Bernie Sanders Is home turf right next right. door But this is clear Clearly a a big win for, for Pete. So we were just talking about this before we started
0: recording. Was it responsible of Pete Buttigieg to announce a victory last night while still in Iowa as early as he did, especially considering there was
2: no data coming out of the party, no data coming out of the precincts? Yeah, clearly he jumped the gun. I, I think he should not have done that. But one thing that we were talking about before is that, you know, he must be pretty confident in the fact that these numbers are gonna stand up because if this does reverse when we get the final tally in, let's say he does finish second to Bernie Sanders, then he's really got egg on his face and that's gonna look really bad. And so the he must have had a pretty good count, you know, from each of the precincts with his, you know, field captains in, in each precinct to feel pretty confident that he in fact does have a a lead in the the delegate count by the time this is all official. um so that's why you know my sense is this probably won't change once we get the final count, but if it does, you know, then I think the Sanders people you know really do have a legitimate complaint to say, Hey, look, you shouldn't have done that and I, and that's my view anyway. I think he he did jump the gun. he should have waited till the official tally was was out there, and so that's something that. I think he'll be properly criticized for. Uh, But on the other hand, if it stands up and it turns out he did win, he can just say, hey, look, I had the good numbers from our own count. And and so I was pretty sure this was going to stand up.
3: What is your take on Iowa, a traditionally non-representative state, being dominated by white Midwesterners, being the first state to cast their votes for a nominee? Do you think this is the last first-in-the-nation Iowa caucus?
2: That's a good question on whether this is going to change in the future, but the, the first part of your question is a really important one, which is that Iowa really is not at all a representative state, and it's unrepresentative in two ways. First of all, it is not representative demographically of the rest of the country, that it is about 91% white, um, that it's much more rural than the rest of the country. And and so in that way, it's really not a good state to have first because it's giving disproportionate attention to a group of voters that doesn't reflect the country. But also, and importantly, I think it's also unrepresentative of even the voters of Iowa, that they also are not equally represented in the caucuses because a caucus is a much more difficult thing to participate in than a primary election. So here in Wisconsin, you wanna register your preference for one of the Democratic candidates two months from now, you can go vote anytime between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. And so it's not really affected by your work schedule or what classes you might have or whatever, you can find some time during election day to go to the polls. In Iowa, you've got to be there from 7 p.m. till at least 9 p.m. in most cases, sometimes even later. And so if you think about the, the people like single parents with, with kids at home, you're working third shift and you can't get off work, that's when you have to be at work, uh, someone with a disability. And so there are a lot of people who simply can't participate in these Iowa caucuses. And if you look at the turnout last night, we had about 170,000 people by most accounts uh, who, who turned out last night to participate in the caucuses. That's about 7% of the state voting age citizen population, 7%, that's really not wow. good. And so the caucus- is not only in Iowa are not representative of the country as a whole demographically, they're not even representative of the people in the state of Iowa. And then you compound that of the access question then with like who the people are who do turn out then, who are those 7%? And they tend to be the people who are the most committed and the ones who are, they tend to be a little more ideologically extreme. And so if you look at the entrance poll that was done, that was reported today, the number of self-reported, very liberal people and liberal people who showed up to caucus were much more liberal than the base of the party as a whole. And so the caucuses really are not representative in so many ways that I hope this is the last time that Iowa's was first. Now, on the other hand, they are really protective of their first in the nation status, as is New Hampshire for the first primary. And so they are going to really push back in any attempt to take that first in the nation status away from them. And one problem we have with Trying to control this type of thing is that states really run the elections, not the national parties. The national parties can try to change things, but the states really ultimately get to decide this.
3: We've talked a little bit about how this has become a policy issue for some of the Democratic candidates about how the primary process looks. Do you think the late results will influence that discussion?
2: It's possible. It certainly will add fuel to the fire for people who are trying to move from caucuses to primaries because reporting the caucus results is more complicated than how a primary actually translate those primary votes into delegates. Like in Iowa, this process actually is just starting because now you've got the county conventions coming up, then you've got the district conventions and the state convention. I and mean, this is like all like just started from last night. And we get the estimates of the state delegate vote count based on the results last night. And usually it, it plays out you know, pretty consistent with that. But this is a really complicated process that, that most voters don't understand. And so I think that this misfire last night in terms of how the the votes were were not reported until while well, they're still being reported now i think we'll even add the people saying, yeah, we need to change this. This is not the way we want to to nominate our candidates. Now, another thing too, and I I don't know for a fact if this contributed to the problems last night, but one thing I think that possibly could have as well, and it was hinted at when the state Democratic Party chair was talking to reporters just a little while ago, is that one thing that they did this year that they hadn't done before was to report the three vote totals. So the initial vote that happens for the first vote, the second vote that happens after the realignment, when you have to go to the other camps if your candidate's not viable. And then the state delegate count. It used to be all they reported was a state delegate count. They didn't report the other two things. So I think adding that into the mix made it even more complicated in terms of what they had to make sure was consistent and accurate across all of the, the precincts. So that probably added to the problems last night. And again, back to your original question, also then is more fuel for the fire for people saying, look, this is ridiculous. We should just you know, have a, a primary election rather than these caucuses.
1: So assuming Buttigieg does come out um, in the end as the victor in Iowa, we, you talked about New Hampshire, too, and Bernie likely winning that state. Biden has been in the lead for South Carolina for quite some time now as well. If somebody wins a different state each time, if that's the reality at the end of this, what does that mean for the Democratic primary overall?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. In fact, I was just talking to another reporter earlier this afternoon about this. That, And we were both saying that, you know, there's a real chance this time around we could end up with a deadlock convention. You know, that wow. it's, it's because we have this even divide between four and even potentially five candidates. It's unusual in Iowa to have that many candidates splitting things that evenly. Mm-hmm. And you could you could see, you know, four, maybe five candidates, you know, Sticking on you know, past Super Tuesday even, because another thing that contributes to that on the Democratic side is the fact that all of the delegates are awarded in the Democratic Party primaries and caucuses proportionately. On the Republican side, after the first several rounds, they have quite a few states still that do winner take all. And so on the Republican side in 2016, that's why Donald Trump was able to wrap up the nomination relatively quickly, Even if he hadn't won a majority of the votes, like he was winning some states with, you know, say 38, 39 percent of the vote, but getting all the delegates because of the winner take all on the Democratic side, that doesn't happen. That if you get 15%, you hit that viability threshold of 15%, you will get delegates. And so that means that more candidates can stay in the race longer. And so let's say Mayor Pete wins last night, and then Sanders wins New Hampshire, then Biden wins uh, South Carolina, maybe Nevada. And then you've got the wild card of Bloomberg jumping in too with his billion dollars he's going to be spending probably in the primers and caucuses, already spent a couple hundred million. On Super Tuesday, he's going to, of his massive ad blitz he could come in then at say 15 20 percent just overnight yeah. you add another candidate into the mix and it's quite conceivable that nobody's gonna have a majority by the time this is all over then it goes to the convention and then the super delegates come into play on the second round and then anything could happen so this could be a really interesting year in terms of how this plays out with the the candidates all sort of winning different states and and maybe dragging this into the convention has something like that happened before, or is this? It's been new territory? 52 years since this this happened. The last deadlock convention we had, that well, at least contested convention, was 1968 uh, with Hubert Humphrey, and that that was a very unusual situation because you had Robert Kennedy looked like he was on his way to the nomination. He was assassinated on the night of the California primary. And Humphrey, who hadn't even entered many of the caucuses as the sitting vice president, entered very late then and was eventually the, the nominee. And so you had uh, Eugene McCarthy, who had run in a lot of the, the primaries and done pretty well. Uh, who got some of Kennedy's supporters and the McCarthy people are all upset, you know, that he didn't get the nomination then. So yeah, that the '68 was the last time we had something like this happen, and we probably don't want a repeat of exactly what happened there because it was it was a mess. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's going to be some unhappy voters. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Way it splits exactly.
1: Just one more quick question about this. Kind of zooming in on Iowa, when we're looking at how this broke down between the candidates in Iowa, is this unusual having this many candidates?
2: It is. Yeah. In fact, I, I heard one of the Uh, party leaders from Iowa interviewed today saying that it's Unusual to have even three people get this many delegates, and to have you know five people getting yeah. a substantial number of delegates is really very unusual. I mean, because you think about it, you know, with the 15% threshold, the maximum you could have is six to be, to be able to get any serious number sure. of delegates. So they're splitting it absolutely equally with everyone sort of high teens. Six is the biggest number you can have, and so to have five, that's almost the maximum number of like competitive candidates. And so this is really unusual, even for Iowa to have it split that evenly.
0: This makes me think of the west wing episode of the i don't know if any of you watch the west wing but there is a contested convention and it's deadlocked
2: oh i forgot i did watch the west wing a while ago i forgot about the (laughs) not to be the deadlock convention
0: (laughs) so given that there are so many candidates receiving delegates out of iowa will there still be the same kind of benefits or surges for the quote unquote victor of Iowa this year like victors of Iowa have received in the past
2: yeah it's a good question and, and maybe don't get quite as much of a boost from Iowa you know because of first of all all of the chaos surrounding last night I think that does probably take some attention away from the win because even if Mayor Pete does end up being the winner I think people will be critical of him for having claimed victory last night so yeah I think for that reason it, it probably will have a little less of an impact but also given that it looks like we'll have kind of this rotation of different winners across the first several weeks, that also prevents anyone from gaining like quick momentum out of the gate. And so, so yes, I think unless Pete could like pull off another upset, say, in winning South Carolina, which would be, I think, really pretty much the end of the Biden campaign if that were to happen. But if you could do something like that, you know, then we'd have a real shakeup in the race. But otherwise, I think it's likely that after the first couple rounds, it's going to be pretty evenly split.
3: So what does this all mean for Biden's campaign, him coming out so much lower than he was pulled Before the caucus results
2: Biden is clearly The big loser From last night That he's trying to put A a good spin on it But it's hard to put A spin on this He he could possibly End up finishing fifth Even behind Amy Klobuchar Right now it looks like He probably won't I think it looks like At this point Probably it's going to be Fourth behind uh, Warren and Sanders And and Mayor Pete Um, And so after all Of the final tallies there It's at at best Going to be Third place finish But likely fourth And possibly even fifth And that's not A a good showing for, For Joe Biden And so again this is just Iowa. It's about 1% of the total for the delegates for Milwaukee for the, the National Convention. And so literally anything can happen the rest of the way out. And so I think we shouldn't overemphasize what this means. But clearly, this is a disappointment from for the Biden camp.
3: How do you think that Mayor Pete's investment into Iowa paid off? And how do you think it will affect him later in the primaries?
2: Well, that's yeah, it's a really good question. Because one thing that the early states can do is to build that momentum. And we've seen this in the past where Barack Obama in 2008 did really well in Iowa, much better than people thought, had a record turnout in terms of bringing more people to the Iowa caucuses than ever had participated before, like by a huge margin, and really ended up doing so much better than people thought he was going to do and getting a solid win over Hillary Clinton. And that really gave a big boost to his campaign in terms of bringing people around who thought, oh, well, he can't win, so I'm not going to support him. And the money did just start pouring in. So now whether or not that same thing will happen with Mayor Pete remains to be seen. That I think, though, what this does show is that his gamble paid off at least for now. Like he did put a lot of resources in Iowa. He really tried. He spent a lot of time there, spent a lot of money there. And by apparently finishing first in the delegate count, this means that he should pick up at least some momentum going into the the next couple of rounds. And people maybe who hadn't thought about him as a serious possibility now will say, oh, well, maybe he does have a chance of winning. And so there's no doubt this will be a big boost for his fundraising. Um, and I think it ended up being the, the right strategy for him. Now, someone like Mike Bloomberg is doing exactly the opposite. Like he entered fairly late and thought, OK, I can't do what's necessary to do well in Iowa. Because in Iowa, you can't come in and buy the state, like just with huge ad buys. You've got to spend the time you know, going to the, the coffee meetings and going to the state fair and going to all of the, as they call it, retail politics. And Bloomberg just didn't have time to do that. So he's ignoring Iowa and New Hampshire entirely. It's kind of the, the anti-Buddha Edge uh, strategy of just trying to, to do really well on Super Tuesday. Now, whether or not Mayor Pete's going to have oh, enough sure. money to compete on Super Tuesday, that's the big question. And so having this strong performance in Iowa should help him build up that, that base of resources he'll need to compete nationally. So upcoming on Friday, we have another
1: Democratic debate um, sandwiched between this vote in Iowa and the primary in New Hampshire next week. What do you think this debate will show? How do you think candidates should approach this debate and will it
2: matter? So one thing about this debate on Friday that will, I think, be better for the candidates who qualified is it's the smallest field that we've had in a debate so far. Just uh, six candidates, the, the top five finishers in Iowa and then Andrew Yang. And so I think this will give the candidates some opportunity to distinguish themselves, you know, from each other. But I would imagine also that there'll be a fair amount of discussion about how to win in November. Mm Because that's one thing that we saw in a lot of the polling coming out of Iowa, the entrance poll that we had showed that about two-thirds of the people who participated last night in Iowa, the most important thing to them is is winning November rather than issue positions. Like they don't even really care who they support Mm -hmm. as long as that candidate can beat Donald Trump. And so I would imagine on Friday, we're going to see more of that kind of a focus of like what can the... Democratic party do to to win in November and maybe not quite so much of the going after each other about like you know the fundraiser in the wine cave sure. or whatever Make you know I think for all yeah exactly I think day we'll day probably day. be staying away from some of those more divisive issues on the other hand if one of the candidates who isn't in danger of like dropping out like Amy Klobuchar you know there's an incentive for her to go more on the attack because mm-hmm. she needs to do well now in these next couple of rounds or she almost certainly will have to to drop out so I kind of have to remind
0: myself sometimes, Iowa last night did not pick our next president. There is still so much more to go. So what happens next? What are candidates' strategies going into New Hampshire next week?
2: Yeah, That's a really good uh, final question, because we do need to remind ourselves, I think over and over again, that not only, as we talked about earlier, is Iowa not representative of the rest of the country, but the actual delegates picked last night for Milwaukee for the convention that really will choose the nominee is going to be is right around 1% of the total. So 41 delegates out of the nearly 4,000 uh, that will go to to pick the nominee in July in Milwaukee. And so this really is, a we're like 1% of the way there. So 99% to be determined. So you're absolutely right that last night did not in any way determine who the nominee is, is going to be. It's the first step in a very long process. And so I think from here, what's going to happen is that I would guess probably after South Carolina, we'll have some of the third tier candidates drop away. I would think, you know, Tom Steyer, Andrew Yang, some of the others who you know are hanging in there with like low single digits. You know, there's really no point for them to continue anymore. Uh, at that point and it probably will narrow down then to the top five uh, at that point and then after Super Tuesday we should go down to probably four maybe even three candidates after Super Tuesday but then Bloomberg into the mix you know adds one more so it's going to be a a long process and it's I think as we talked about earlier more uncertainty surrounding this nomination campaign than we've seen in some time just because the support is so evenly divided and not having a clear front runner or like the, the race we had last time around on the Democratic side with Sanders and Clinton kind of evenly dividing it between the two of them So it's really a two-person race from very early on uh, And so this really does have a different feel to it than a lot of nomination campaigns we've seen And again, it, it may end up with a deadlock convention in Milwaukee What a prospect to look onto
0: as we continue our election coverage Thank you so much, Professor Cannon
2: Okay, it's fun to be with you